to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, as I tell them, the type of guest you make a podcast like this for, Stephen McBean of the band Pink Mountain Tops, of Black Mountain, of uh, Obliterations, of Jerk Ward. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. Uh, you can also go over to Facebook.com and you can like the Turned Out of Punk Facebook page, write a comment, send a message. It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. He'll get the message to me. You can also go over to various forms of social media like Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter and follow me at Lefford Damien and get updates about this show and about other stuff. You can also check out uh, the band I play in, Fucked Up. Uh, if you go to fuckedup.cc, we've got some shows coming up. We're going to be playing with the Descendants. Yep. We're going to be playing with the Misfits. Yep. And it's 2016. Yep. What a, what a life, you know? Like, I never thought I'd get to say that in my lifetime, and here I'm getting to say it now. Anyway, uh, more on that in the future, I'm sure. And hopefully some interviews will come out of that. No, no even hints at a Misfits thing. Because believe me, that I think is an improbability. But uh, maybe the Descendants. we got some time with the Descendants. But anyway, more on that if you follow me on various forms of social media. You can also do me a favor and go over and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes if you're an iTunes user. And if you are an iTunes user, please rate and review this thing. Subscribe to it. Tell your friends about it. Even if you don't use iTunes, tell your friends about it. But if you do use iTunes, you will be kept abreast about the other adjacent podcast to this, Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, which is done by myself and my good friend and your good friend, Chris O'Toole, where each week we dissect a Turned Out of Punk episode. And my gosh, we're going to have some great stuff to get into this week. Woo! It's going to be a juicy one. But that one tends to drop kind of sporadically. So if you want to find out when it's going to drop, subscribe to it on iTunes. And if not, just you know, keep checking back. It will come out. We do that uh, every week, normally around Monday or Tuesday. Um, anyway, uh, you can also, if you want to support me, go over to vice.com, check out the stuff that I'm doing over there, some articles I'm doing, uh, all sorts of stuff, not just cannabis stuff now, all sorts of other articles too. So go check that out, videos, what not. Okay. On to today's show. Today on the show, Steve McBean from all those amazing bands that I said. Pink Mountain Tops, Black Mountain, Obliterations. Also played in Jerk Ward, a hardcore band back in the day, like at the inception of kind of, uh, of uh, I guess, fast, super fast hardcore in Victoria, which is one of the hotbeds for it, of course, being the home of the Neos. Jerk Ward is a much more obscure band, but awesome. Awesome. There's a record that was reissued a couple years ago. It's extremely limited, so hard to find. But if you do get your hands on it, check it out. I think it's kind of telling that today I was talking to Jonah from Fucked Up, who knows way more about punk and hardcore than I do. And I was telling him about Steve being on the show. And he's like, oh, that's cool, you know, from the obliterations and everything. And I'm like, yeah, and also Jerk Ward. And Jonah was like, he was in Jerk Ward. So if I can tell Jonah from Fucked Up that Steve McBean from... Black Mountain, Pink Mountain Tops, Obliterations is also the same Steve from the Jerk Ward tape, which has been circulating for years. Then my work is done. Uh, everyone, this is a good one. This has got some deep, deep knowledge about an area that I am fascinated by 
which is Victoria. And, oh, it's a good one. There's a lot of great bands brought up. Oh, I love this episode. <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to waste any more your time. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy Stephen McBean on Turned Out of Punk. Certain things for hours and other things I got nothing to say about, but it seems like something I could ramble on about for quite some time. <laughs> well, I am in luck then because as anyone that listens to this show knows, I very much enjoy rambling on about the topic <laughs> that we're going to get into in a second. But I'm not going to ramble on. I want you to ramble on first, which is how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, I remember there was a McLean's magazine mm -hmm. that had a, I'm not sure if it had like a leather jacket with a bunch of pins on it or something, but it, it I assume this would have been 79 or something, but it had like, it had, it had an, it had an article on like a, well, it probably would have been like Teenage Head. And the diode. It's got a Viltones thing too. Yeah, right? in it a big Viltones photo, I think. If I, remember I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because I was living in Kleinberg, Ontario, then with my parents, and I was, I guess, I was about seven or eight. Yeah, and I was in Kleinberg, and we went out to a Coquitlam, Vancouver, to a family vacation to my auntie Joanne's house, and. Uh, we went to the PNE and I bought a copy of uh, it was Road to Ruin by the Ramones and it was given them give them enough room by the Clash and then I believe my cousin Gordy also gave me a a copy of Disco Sucks by DOA and that was kind of that was the start like I had been a kind of a, a music fanatic before that with. You know, Kiss, Bay City Rollers, and that led into the cars, and I remember, you know, the wall and stuff. ABBA. ABBA was in there, and some... And I, I had a I had a friend down the, the street in, in uh, Kleinberg that was... Maybe he was like 15? I don't know. And he, 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 he kind of had his... He was just—he was into records and stuff, so he'd invite me over and we'd just listen to records, even though I was much younger than him. Um, but I remember him being like, "There's this thing called new wave and you know punk and stuff." And yeah, we checked it out, and I, I kind of became as soon as I saw like I think like Sid Vicious or Randy Rampage or pictures of any of those people, I, I was—it was just like. Hooked. That was, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, Kiss and all of them were cool looking, but the Ramones and stuff were like, <laughs> I think I remember seeing, like, Susie Quattro was, like, on Happy Days or something, too. I might have the years mixed up, but it was all around then, and then, I guess the, you know, so I had those records, and the I guess the big thing was then we moved in, in 1980 to uh, Sydney, BC, which is like just by the ferries in uh, on Vancouver Island by Victoria. And for Halloween, I was like dressed up as a punk rocker. And there's this other kid named Randy Long who was dressed up as a punk. And we were like, hey, into punk too. <laughs> like right on. But his brother, older brother Ricky, 
a few years older. He 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 had some records. He had like Sid sings, and I believe he had like you know maybe something better change or something. So we, I started going to, over to Randy and Rick's house after school and listening to more records. But that was, I mean, that was kind of the start of. I guess it would be discovering hardcore or what the hardcore scene became because before it was still, you know, it was still, even though DOA was just across the water, they still seemed as, you know, as larger than life, you know, to the clash of the sex pistols. It was still that thing where they were were like, whoa. But then it was like, I mean, I think the big changing point in was me and Randy and my friend John London, um, we went down to, uh, I think it was Mesro's Records, and there was the Neo's uh, End All Discrimination 7-inch, and I guess it had, maybe it had been out for six months or whatever, but we bought it, and we were like, I guess a good term would be flabbergasted. <laughs> that, 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 you know, just that they were so young and they were, you know, playing through like, you know, cheap guitars and all this stuff. And we put it on. And I believe the first song is, is it Illiterate? Uh, yeah, it is Illiterate. Yeah. So it's like that, that, and we're just like, whoa, this is like, we're like, this is, well, this, like, you know, this is another, game changer if you will <laughs> but we were just like fixated with that and um and then we started a the three of us john london and randy long and myself started a a band you know called a called jerk ward when i guess we were we were 11 or 12 it was like kind of just shifted our gears and we were made like oh you know we can do this too and kind of the whole do-it-yourself thing and like i mean we didn't know how to how to play or anything it was just i had a guitar and randy had the bass and john and uh his mom and myself went over to drums only in in vancouver and bought like a four-piece drum set and he couldn't afford cymbals of i think for the first year he just had the had the toms and the snare and the kick and yeah, I think we brought it back. It was tiny. We brought it back on like the bus or maybe we got a ship, but, <laughs> but there was that. And then there was youth plague fanzine we discovered then, which is from Victoria. So when did you meet the Neos? Did you, after you got the single, did, had you, did you mm-hmm. like go out and try and meet these people or did you just kind of like go back and kind of go and be like, okay, this is out there? Well, it's, <laughs> we, we kind of, we, we knew about them and then we would see like, uh, once in a while you'd see like older, like, you know, punkers walking around, but there was Lyle's place records, which is still there. And I, I yeah. think, I can't remember. It, I think it was me and John and we went in there and, and then we looked over like at the, the punk section and all three neos were standing there <laughs> going through the records. So, I mean, we were, you know, by the, then we were, I guess we would have been 13, I don't know, 12 or 13. And we were like, hey, here's the Neos. And they're like, yeah. I mean, they, I guess they would have been 16 or 18 around then. Yeah. And they were, and then 
we kind of just invited ourselves and we we followed them around town and they were they were basically doing like the photocopying for uh for Hazabog it's the Martian brain squeeze oh that's awesome <laughs> and then I remember like John was like I gotta go home so he caught caught the Pat Bay bus back to Sydney and I was just like screw it and because they were jamming and I was just I basically just invited myself to their jam <laughs> <laughs> in Steve Bailey's basement and you know it was it was it was i think it was i think it was unless it was maybe i can't remember maybe it was mario's basement it was called the sweat box it was one of their bedrooms and it's like they turned they would they turned on all the heat in the room and just just the room just exploded and i was just like whoa just sitting there and then they stopped and I figured out how to catch a bus back to Sydney, and but then they 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 were really are uh, they were super supportive. I mean, because they then Steve Bailey had a four track, and he was like, "Oh, well, we'll, we'll come out and we'll record your band." So like him and Kev, maybe in Mario the first time, packed up his gear and some mics and. They came out to uh, Sydney, John's basement, and basically we ran through our set and they recorded that. Before that, we had like a, we had a tape up in Lyle's place that was, if you mail us a blank cassette, we'll basically like record you a rehearsal of our jams. Send to the practice. Yeah, it was into this like mono you know, ghetto blaster where we didn't, we didn't have a PA or anything. So we just kind of screamed right into the, the ghetto blaster. I think we only made one tape, but Scott Henderson had it. And it was, it was one of those weird things where it's cause you know, we were just little kids, but it was, you know, so raw and primitive and alien sound. It was kind of glorious. Like I was like, it's, I couldn't believe how, <laughs> I don't know. It seemed like something that you know, like it sounded like you know, like a a Japanese noise band by accident or something, something that was on like a Boredom's record or something. But well, that's the thing about that I love so much about that Victoria scene that you know, obviously Neo's just before you guys and that you're a part. It's just like, and and then but and also on the other side of the you know the continent, kind of you have Deep Wound doing similar mm-hmm. types of things and Siege, but you have these bands that are pushing it to that sonic extreme that death metal would kind of try and push it to a little bit later and grind a little bit later after. But like these bands, you guys were doing it so early and it's just so, it's just so unlike the stuff. Like, you know, you're talking about picking up clash records and it's like jerk ward is light years away from the clash as far as pushing that kind of like, yeah, sonic Japanese style attack. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just a, I mean, all those bands and, yeah, I mean, like, we, I remember we ordered the Deep Wound 7-inch, and then it was, like, yes, Steve from the Neos, he introduced us to Tervit Cadet, mm-hmm. like, those mm-hmm. bands, all the all the Finnish stuff, you know, and then, of course, like, the rudimentary Peni 7-inches and stuff, and I think it was just all these kids that were, you know, a little more suburban and, you know, not cool. There was no, like, kind of... I guess in bigger cities, you know, like scenes like the CBGBs, there's kind of like an art 
scene around it or you know poetry or all these different you know fashion or all these or you know of course drugs and all that stuff but it's like we were i think the neos too but like it was like it's like i didn't i didn't care about art or anything it's like i we just cared that we wanted i mean at that time to be like pretty much the fastest band which, which the neos did too and i'm sure deep wound the same kind of thing mm-hmm. but like with yeah it's it's, it's kind of gang you know, all the all the boston stuff just it's i don't know what it is There's... it's also like you guys were also the templates for what became the hardcore kid you know like the idea of this sort of like even when they're you know in an urban setting slightly suburban kid mm-hmm. that you know doesn't necessarily care about other sides of you know, punk culture, but like loves the music. And is also aware of all this the music all over the world. That's like this, like the fact that you guys were aware of turvy cadet and like, you know, you talked to mm-hmm. Jay and, and Lou and, and those guys were definitely aware of like international hardcore, be it Italian or, or yeah, Finnish or whatever. So there is kind of like that sort of, you guys are kind of laying the foundation for the path that I would one day later walk as a, a kid who was obsessed with Finnish hardcore living in North America. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, yeah, like it's we didn't, nor yeah, like we didn't, you know, we didn't dress punk or look punk or, <laughs> but you know, like I had I had a fanzine called Verbal Assault and only did two issues of that, but it was like, what was in your fanzine? Like, who did you do you interview bands for it or? Yeah, I mean the the first issue was like negative approach. I think America's Hardcore was on the cover. Of that oh my pretty... god! What? <laughs> how did you get like, a photo of America? Like, you, did you, were you t- trading photos with people down in the states or something? Yeah, I had like a a pen pal, uh, Bessie Oakley from from Reno. She was one of my first, and she did Paranoia fanzine. Okay. Um, but a lot of it came through Tim Crow from Youth Plague fanzine. Mm-hmm. So, like, but it, it was all it was all just you know like mail order. I mean, not mail or uh, just, just, you know, through the mail interviews. And it was like with the Necros. And I did one with Crucifix and Tesco V. And That's I think the th- awesome. The third one, I think I interviewed Lodja from Terry Cadet. But that 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 never came out. But I, yeah, still I mean, have the tapes? Do you still have the, the transcripts of the tapes at least? <laughs> no. I, I've been... Well, it's hilarious. Like I look back at certain things and been terrible at uh, archiving things. I remember having like a well, I had the. I remember I had a. It was I guess it was a a flyer for Minor Threat, maybe the McDonald's and something else at the freezer or something oh. in in Detroit, and yeah. it had John Brannon's interview that he had written on the back. Oh. And I remember being like, I don't know, seventeen, and going through my stuff and being like, eh, I don't need this anymore. Why would I want this? Yeah, <laughs> you know. But yeah, but the I last thing is, sorry. But yeah, it's just like you know, you don't like that. That whole thing about you don't, you don't. None, none of us, you know, no one was thinking in those terms then. You were just kind of doing it. And it was very exciting, and it was just there and now. And it's even like when, when like. A few years later, when like, like me and my friends discovered like Dinosaur Junior, like through skateboarding and Santa Cruz videos, and then 
you know, like living all over you and bug. Like it, it was literally, I think till like maybe like 90 or 91 where I actually put the connection and was like, Whoa, those dudes were in deep wound, <laughs> you know, cause they're, you know, there's obviously yeah. no, no internet and no, like, of course. Yeah. You know, you, you're just like, what? And, and it's not I like they're get... typing that up on the press releases, like featuring members of deep wound. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I don't know. No, no, I just want to like go back. Like, you know, America's hardcore to me. And that's a band that comes up on this podcast a lot because I find them so fascinating because they're one of the great lost bands. Like I've heard a, yeah. friend, a friend of mine, like I've got a comp track or two here. And mm-hmm. then a, a friend of mine had a, like a tape with an unreleased song on it that I heard one time. But like, what was it about that band that, that drew you to him was, or just the cool photo? It was probably the cool photo, but it was also at the time. It, it's I remember they were like one of those bands that like you read about, and I remember yeah. like same as like like when 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 I bought like a flex your head. It was like we had we had heard about this band Minor Threat, like we had read about them, and you know seen a picture in Maximum Rock and Roll and seen reports and this shaved head dude and you know this i mean i mean we didn't drink or drugs or any of that because we were you know 12 13 but (laughs) but we had heard about them and it's like when when stand up came on it was like like you know i think we were probably expecting like you know like discharge or something but it was like like this kind of weird kermit the frog voice and it, it just sounded so new and fresh i mean that whole comp just like like the void like everything was just like wow yeah and like it's like how many i don't know how many bands are on that comp like 15 or whatever and like they all sound completely different but i mean i think america's hardcore was that at that time you know of seven seconds and like the scene and like this the kind of new like of course like ssd control but yeah you know like Probably nowadays you'd be like, oh, you know, if, if a band was, you saw a band called Canadians Hardcore, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of a bad name. <laughs> Maybe, you'd be, I don't know. I don't, but like at the time it was just like, whoa, like that's powerful. You know, like, I've, I've ever pull, seen, you know. Yeah, I know. I've ever seen that movie made, the Vince Vaughn, John Favreau thing from like two thousand mid 2000s. I don't know. Uh, there's a scene in it in the opening and Vince Vaughn is wearing an America's Hardcore shirt. Oh, really? Yeah, like they're driving. And if you watch, listen to the audio commentary track on the DVD, he's like, oh, yeah, this is like a local punk band. And I guess the guy from America's Hardcore is a costume person in, in Hollywood now. Yeah, he actually recently died. Oh. He, he was the guy that was also in Crucifix oh, briefly. Yeah. And he was he's one of the the auxiliary characters in Suburbia. That's right. Okay, that you know, now it's coming back a little bit. I do remember reading, that. but Drew, yeah, yeah Drew, and, yeah, and it was that literally like, I think it was like a year or so ago. But it was that thing where someone, you know, posted a thing on Instagram. It might have even been Southern Lord or something, and then it said America's Hardcore. And I was like, I was like, whoa, because I think I think the interview was with that I did was with Danny from the band, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess he took his life, but yeah, he was well loved. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I th- um, well, it's it's amazing when you get to that, I guess you get to that point now where you're you're like seeing these people 
at later stages in their life and you're like, oh, I knew them when they were like these, this other, uh, in this other world that they were in at one point. Yeah. It's, we, well, we just played in Copenhagen and, uh, my friend Naya, who lives in Copenhagen, and she's, she, 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 I can't remember if she's married or dating um, Rainy from Discharge, but Whoa. she, she brought, uh, Charlie, the drummer from Anti Semix, to the show. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So I was, uh, I was like, pretty, I was like, dude from Anti Semix is on the, on the guest list. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved all that, all that. All the Finnish stuff and the Swedish stuff, like Chaos and... Yeah, like, where were you getting these records from? Like, the, the international stuff specifically. Like, were they getting them in as imports, or were you having to mail-order it all yourself? There was some mail-order. I did, um... I went to... To, uh... Disneyland with my parents in... I guess, 82? Okay. Maybe it was 83? 82. And uh, I actually left. I left Disneyland and found a record store and <laughs> bought like I think I, I was hiding them, but it was like, so it was only seven inches. But I, I mean, it was like the Native Approach seven inch, Rebel True seven inch. Uh, then it was Chaos, Totalina Chaos, and the uh, Bastards World Burns to Death. And what store did you go to buy them? Do you remember? I think it was probably just a tower or something. Whoa. It was just a, it, I guess it would have been Anaheim and it was just a big record store. But yeah, what else? There was a couple other ones, like maybe like, what's that? We don't, we don't like bananas band from Chicago. Uh, <laughs> Anti Pac Man. The, uh, not, um, uh, Negative I, Element. Oh, maybe okay. it was them too. Are they, were they, were they from Chicago or Madison? Chicago, you're right. Maybe Madison. No, yeah. maybe Chicago, you're right. Wow, that's, that, what a weird haul. Did you, were you just like, these ones or were these bands that you've been, like, as you said before, like with Minor Threat, been reading about now? You're like, I finally have this record. I think a few of them, definitely the, 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 the Finnish stuff, because it was on a, the propaganda, propaganda records. Yeah. Um, and definitely I'd heard of the, the Negative Approach was another, like, jaw dropper like dropping that seven on seven inch on and being like whoa <laughs> <laughs> how many bands were making it out to were you getting able to see like were you sorry able to see at that point um, was it mainly local stuff were you seeing or were there like there was local stuff and i mean there was doa hoc i mean you know black flag came a bunch with so I, I mean, the first time, which was would have been amazing, it was the Subhumans and Black Flag, and I think Saccharine Trust with oh. Husker Du opening. <laughs> but I was too young for that. So the first one I saw them was the the My War tour, and then it was with still not Meat bad, Pup not <laughs> yeah, and then Meat Puppets on two, and, and yeah. that band uh, Muggers band uh, Nig Heist opened, which was quite. Oh you know. <laughs> yeah, what was that like? As a, what were they at that point? Because I guess they went through different phases uh, as far as live performance goes. But that would have been pretty early, I would guess, for them. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it was. I guess it was them all wearing like wigs. And yeah, stuff. yeah. Like, I didn't totally get the joke at the time, <laughs> but so it was probably like Bill Stevenson on guitar and. Maybe like you know, I don't know. Whoever one of their 
was it Tom Tricoli was flag sound guy or, yeah. or who, something like that. Like just, just anyone from the SST crew who was around, but that was, who there a yeah, local, I mean, was there a local band on that one or just those two? That was, uh, actually no means no opened that, that oh, was awesome. right when they went from a two piece to a three piece. So Andy Kerr joined them halfway through. Did you ever see the infamous scientists or were no. that's before, I guess you moved there even. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, they, I was too young for that. Or there was a lot of like cool, a lot of that cool weird stuff in Vancouver too. Like all that kind of pair Ubu influence stuff. And mm-hmm. but what well, like was, is no fun. Are they from uh, Vancouver Island, right? I think No Fun was... Or No Exit. No Exit is on the Sorry. I'm no right. Exit. I, th- I think No Exit's from... I think they're from Vancouver. Okay. They played the... F- I think one of the, the, f- the first show I ever went to, which was like... Um, it was, this is kind of a sad story. Okay. <laughs> so it's like really red personality crisis. Oh. Uh, but I didn't. I had to leave before those bands played. But I think No Exit was like the headliner. Oh wow! But were isn't they, that like were they popular? The rarest Canadian? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It was probably just. I don't think anyone cared. You know, it's like no one cared back then, really. Mm-hmm. You know, like. But isn't that like supposed to be like the rarest Canadian punk record, the No Exit record? It would be or that, one of them, or that, or the Gentleman of Horror single. Yeah. Which is uh, they're from Victoria, right? No, they were from Kelowna. Kelowna, that oh fuck, I'm not getting anything right now. (laughs) Yeah, so gentlemen of horror. uh, What were the? Did you ever see them or that before? No, that was another one that I think there was another one. uh, These are all I think youth plague shows uh, where I could stay for a little bit. So there was one that was it was gentlemen of horror and and then then like red tide and day glows, but. The the accused was one of the openers. Oh. It was like a very early accused show. Was it before Blaine was singing even? Or was yeah, like, whoa! It was it was with that John guys from like the, the same line. I guess is the split with, with the, the farts oh, or rejectors. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So what was it like at that point? Because like that, uh, they I love were that awesome. Record. Yeah. Oh yeah, actually, I yeah, I think I interviewed them. For my maybe it was the second issue. There's an interview with the cues, but they were they were amazing. I mean, they 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 were still they had that you know kind of like that fast thing, like the neos and all that. But like, but they were also like you know in, probably into Motorhead and Judas Priest. So mm-hmm. it was it was starting to hit that splatter rock <laughs> thing, you know. But oh. yeah. So like I was yeah they say, were killer. So like yeah like you're at this age. What was your first show that you played with Jerk Ward? The first one was uh, it was opening for Scream, and it was September third, nineteen eighty three. <laughs> oh, so is that still are they are they touring on still screaming with that or that the second record? That was still screaming. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So, we, didn't get, we had to leave for that too. So I didn't get to see them. <laughs> I guess that's the thing. It's like you are super young. Like it, it's like you're like under sixteen at this point. Like were were there even clubs where you weren't allowed to be in the club type thing until you played? Or? Uh, 
I mean, all these ones, all these shows were, they were all the shows in Victoria then were basically either at the OAP Hall mm-hmm. or the the Fernwood Community Center. So, I mean, those were just halls that people rented. I think they had a few shows at this place called the the Foe, which was you know Fraternity of Eagles, which had a bar attached. But okay, I think most of the shows. I think the first time I I like tried to sneak and do a show in Victoria was, I guess it would have been eighty five. It was because the 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 asexuals were playing, <laughs> so I couldn't. That was like the first time I was like I was like, like what do you mean like I can't come in? <laughs> so I, I remember just watching them through the window and they're amazing. But yeah, uh, what a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> miss that show. So you you brought about talk about your fanzine, and there's like obviously you know like a bunch of other amazing fanzines and like a fanzine culture, like Bad Attitude. Was that a fanzine from there? Oh yeah, that was from Cranbrook. Yeah, I've got an issue with that, and it's also like mm-hmm. you said, it's got a Finnish scene report in it as well. Is that all like that taste? Where does that come from in that scene? Because like you know, is it from the neos originally getting you guys uh, into that stuff, or is it just like more than any other bit. scene? It seems. Well, it was like so. There, there, there was the neos, and I'm trying to remember what Kev Jerkface Kev had a zine, which I can't remember the name of. But then there was Youth Plague, which was like the big one that Tim Crow yeah. did, and then there was uh, in Delta. Oh, what was it? Called? Idle Thoughts. This guy named Len Morgan did. I think he passed away like maybe ten years ago. Um, and I had this friend, Sue, from Delta that did a zine. But they were all kind of, kind of that, it was kind of that wave of, yeah, of, of, you know, just post, like, you know, like, DOA and Subhumans. It's like the, the, like the new crew. And like, part of that was just like the, the, the Finnish stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, I guess the Italian stuff was a little bit afterwards. But. Yeah, like Cheetah Chrome, motherfuckers, and like the yeah. power and everything. I guess it's also must be where would like I guess it would be like Maximum Rock and Roll scene reports would be a lot of the source of information, and then before you'd start like to get the people's addresses to start writing radio. Yeah, I mean, I sent like my zines to MRR and like just by sending basically they had a thing back then if you send us your zine we'll send so i got like maximum rock and roll like delivered to my house for like it seemed like four years <laughs> my parents house were still getting mrrs <laughs> but yeah it's just the scene report and then you just you know write someone i remember my mom being like because i was there's a point where i was getting like tons of mail and then my my friend bessie who who did uh, from Reno? Who did Paranoia Fanzine? Um, she was in that band, The Rex. Okay. With 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 uh, all these names are slipping my mind. Who later played in the Dicks? Yeah. Right. I was trying to think it was from the Rex. Yeah, she was actually at those at the those dinosaur uh, shows. Then she was in Sister Double, ha- Double Happiness and uh, my brain. <laughs> but then she started working for uh, BYO in L.A. So I remember coming home one day and basically like a box of like, and it was like 
you know, the crew and like the unwanted and stretch marks and, uh, I don't know, all those records that kind of came out at the same time, kind of that weird Canadian, uh, assault on, uh, American punk. Yeah. The prairies. Yeah. Like, I guess like who would have been that? I've always wondered about that. Like who is the person that was like, yo, we got to sign this band from Canada, this band from Canada, you know, like there was like a, yeah. Like the unwanted, Stretch marks, SNFU, I guess yeah. mainly those three. But then there's also the comp with ha- which has like Youth, 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 mm-hmm. and all the other Canadian bands on it too. Something to believe in. It must have been like that uh, Youth Brigade Social Distortion tour, like that yeah. Another State of Mind tour, because they played all across the prairies. And yeah, also- I know the the show in Victoria got like like shut down by the cops before anyone played. Oh, wow. Were you at that show or was that before your time? No, before my time. I knew of it, but (laughs) I wasn't getting in. Yeah, you're like 12, so don't worry. Uh, I guess, like, you know, it's funny when you think about BYO, too, because, like, the Stern Brothers are are Canadian, right? Like, they were born in Toronto before they moved out there. Oh, okay, yeah. So maybe it's like they felt like some uh, national pride deep down to (laughs) this stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, great amazing bands oh absolutely awesome bands awesome and i and speaking of awesome bands red tide so what's the transition from you playing in jerk war to red tide um i was just basically like red tide was like the other super influential band along with the neos you know yeah yeah like their rundown tape and their out of my way tape before that they had that in a, in a more melodic way, but that same kind of Victoria, like weird alien, you know. But that, I remember I was just jerkboard had broken up, and I was, I was, I think I was just skateboarding around Victoria, and I ran into either Ken or John from Red Tide, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to play bass?" And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> I didn't have a bass or anything, but I, I borrowed Chris's the previous bass player's bass and I was only in them for a year played like well, I was on the final solution tape and then we played a, a bunch of shows but it was like kind of like I was kind of bummed because I liked I liked the earlier Red Tide more than the Red Tide that I was in <laughs> but even though that stuff now when it was like like John Craig's was like such a, a phenomenal songwriter for like his age, like his arrangements and all that, I think that was pretty influential on like, yeah, just like all all the stuff that's like, it's maybe not the best recorded or executed, but the, just the songs there. And I remember being like, what are you listening to? He's like, oh, Bruce Cockburn. I'm like, really? <laughs> the fuck are you listening to that for? <laughs> so, But then it was also like, at the end of that, that's when like Mission of Christ started, you know? So yeah. it was like, it was kind of like the accused COC and because Mission of Christ was basically jerk ward with our friend Mike singing. So like, it was like all the same people. And then we, and then Kev from the Neos joined Mission of Christ because he was, well, he was in a band with our, with John, our drummer called Sludge Confrontations. Okay. Which was like near the end of the Neos and then a bit after. Did they record and, Sludge Confrontation? Yeah, they have like a they have a bunch of tapes. They even have a flexi that came out on that dude 
Diggs label, which I guess it was Manic Ears, but then it turned into Earache. Okay. From because he Kev went and lived in England for a bunch, and then when he came back, we had started started Mission of Christ, and I guess he wanted to get Sludge Confrontations going again. But then when he heard us, he was just like, "Well, I'll just join you guys." We're like, cool. <laughs> Um, so did you play on the Red Tide single or is it after the single that you joined? It's like right after right. the Toxic Shock single, yeah. Yeah, because I was always wondering, like, the Toxic Shock to me is such an interesting label. And I was, like, wondering how that relationship came about. But I guess it would have been, once again, probably through letter writing, I would imagine. I think letter writing, it was, I guess, kind of like that, the Barricaded Suspects comp yeah. where oh, yeah. Red Tide was on that. Oh, that's right. They're on that comp. That's right. And they're on that, um... On that um, MRR comp, Welcome to 1984. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just, yeah, just, I mean, the mail was, I'm sure still is, was a very powerful, exciting tool at that time. It was like, I think it was like the, maybe that, of just waiting, checking the mailbox and checking it. And then then you, you open it up and like the, See the the seven inch in in there, or the the little parcel ticket. You're like, oh, that means there's LPs at the, <laughs> at the post office. Can you drive me, mom? <laughs> <laughs> with with um, you know, playing in Red Tide. Did you guys was Jerk Ward? Was it a hard stop, or you kind of keeping going before it became Mission of Christ? In that mm, we kind of we kind of I guess it kind of just petered out. Like at the very end, we basically like we kicked out Randy. Mm-hmm. And then we played like one show in Vancouver, and then we played a show in Steve Bailey's basement of the Neos with like the Daglos and No Means No. And then we recorded some stuff, but we never, never finished it. I remember we played in the the, the Vancouver show. There was a a kid there that was a seems weird to say fan, but. He when we finished playing, he's like, "That's not jerk word." Because we were kind of like, I think by then we were kind of leaning into at least going for like a, hitting our posse core era with maybe a bit of Italian of Saints and stuff. So it was maybe it slowed down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, you weren't doing <laughs> the blur speeds anymore, and it didn't have a Randy's uh, the sandpaper vocals, so. Plus, we, I guess we were going through puberty, so our voices changed. <laughs> yeah. It's a painful transition that every young teenage band has to make yeah. when puberty comes. So with with Jerk Ward, like, you kind of did the demo tape and the 7-inch, like, right at the same time? Or is it, do you do the demo tape much before? Or the with Jerk Ward? Yeah, well, not Jerk Ward, Mission of Christ, sorry. Mission of Christ. Oh, yeah, we, I mean, we recorded, yeah, we just recorded that. That demo, it was Scott Henderson and and Spud from the Dayglows recorded it. But yeah, those two songs from the Seven Inch are just from those same same sessions. Oh, it's on. That's those two songs are on the tape too. Yeah, I never heard the tape. I got to hear this tape one time. It's like a big money tape too. People like it goes for a lot of money these days. Really, it's in need of a reissue. <laughs> Strange. I tell you, this is the thing. This this is like <laughs> little did you think. When you were 17, throwing out that John Brandon flyer that all these years later, a 35-year-old father of three 
would be asking you about this garbage. <laughs> kind of true. It's nice, though. It's exciting. <laughs> well, I, I, it's also amazing that, like, you know, a bunch of kids had, like, no effects covers the Neos on one of their seven inches. Oh, like, yeah. Bands in mm -hmm. Japan, I've seen, you know, reference the Neos or wear Neo shirts and stuff like that. Like, it's just, like, it's it's amazing. Or Dayglo abortions, of the, the you know, and, and all the stuff you've done, obviously, in other bands and in music. It's like... It all came out of this like one scene of a bunch of teenagers. The whole touring network and the way of touring that bands tour now was like built on that, whether bands know that or not. But before that, it was like, oh, we'll play, you know, San Francisco, New York, uh, Toronto. But then th this thing of just building these networks, and especially back then, like you think, you know, it's like, you know, no internet, all these things, you know, and then we're going to, you know, let's, we're going to press a record and we're going to, you know, like they, it's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. No, it's like, it, it really is like the means of production were the hands of, of, of the artists. And in this case, the artists were, you know, 14, 15, like able to make a tape and distribute it, able to make their own like music media. You know, I'm sure there wasn't a lot of like mainstream Victoria music media covering, the comings and goings of uh, the Scandinavian punk scenes, you know? So it was like, no, <laughs> you guys to kind of do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a very beautiful thing. Getting, mm -hmm. all getting all misty eyed now. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the problems is though, that none of the, like, as you say, like it's hard for the bands to tour. Like what was the first point where you kind of like, other than doing the odd Vancouver show kind of like set out outside of province even to kind of tour? Not till the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like, Mission of Christ got, like, we got, I think the first label that offered us, like, a record deal or whatever you call it was Alchemy. Oh, you know, that was awesome. And, yeah, and I remember talking to the guy and he being, like, cause I remember just basically, like, getting a letter back from alchemy and then reading it and like i think kev was sitting next to me and i looking at him i was like i was like does this mean we like are we getting are we signed is he <laughs> <laughs> but then it was like he was like you'll come down to san francisco and you'll record with i think it was mark dutremont who was like in the guitarist for clown alley and stuff and he recorded I think he also all was that one stuff. of the owners right of the label yeah. too and then so us just being like, forces you to pay him to record you too. That's what a good scam for a label to have. <laughs> but then it was like that thing. Like we were like, we were like, I don't know. We we're like, how do we get to San Francisco? <laughs> yeah. Like no idea. Yeah. I think the, the, that whole MRR, like, uh, like book your own life thing that kind of opened the doors for a, a lot of things. I remember like going to see like, I think it was like, it was suicidal tendencies at the New York theater. And it was like, I guess it was join the army tour. Okay. Standing next to my, my friend, you know, and it was totally packed. And we were like, it was the first time it, I think it ever dawned on our brains. We're like, how much do you think, like, how much are they getting paid tonight? We're like, you think they're like making like $500? And we're like, that's insane. Can you imagine if you went on tour and made $500 every night? Like, you'd be a millionaire. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like having, it's just, yeah. it's just like, 
Well, you don't know because you're like, you've never done it. Yeah, I remember like, I was probably, because I was probably 14 and my zine had come out and some like punk rock lady from, I guess, Seattle had gone to Victoria and bought my zine and she called the number. She's like, hey, it's Steve there. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And she's like, you know, I put out a zine too and we're talking about music and all these stuff. And then she's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm staying in a hotel downtown if you, you know, I got some beer and stuff you want to hang out. And I was like that, uh, I'm 14. <laughs> like, just, just kind of like, just, you know, kind of cute. <laughs> so did you go hang? No. No. I would have been terrified. Yeah, girls. absolutely. Well, no, you're a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny too because, like, you know, if you guys had signed to Alchemy, what a run that label had with like the Melvins, Neurosis, Poison Idea, and Virulence, which is the pretty Fu Manchu band. Oh, that's like, right. Uh, RKL and Mr. on there. Yeah, RKL too, of course. I got to leave out RKL and Sacrilege BC. So, where did you kind of go? After, like you mentioned earlier, kind of hitting a transition point of getting into Dinosaur Jr. When did that happen, or was that happening when you're doing a Mission of Christ? Mission of Christ. Um, I think that was all. Uh, um, I don't know. I think that was just kind of that that whole scene kind of melded with, you know, with like Husker Du kind of being like a thrash band. And then, you know, like metal, metal circus being like, you know, this cool, like melodic, melodic thing. And I think, I mean, like back then too, it's like, it seemed like anytime like bands made like a, like a big change, you know, like my, you know, my war or anything like that. It was like, at least me and my friends, it was like, we were all for it. It was like, what are they going to do next? You know? So it's like the thing of the the dinosaur junior and the, listening to this dinosaur junior and then Slayer and COC like it just kind of all made sense, you know? Yeah. So you never had that kind of like gimme indie rock Lou Barlow moment that he talks about, where it just kind of like you kind of were able to kind of stay involved in everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm I know that like of the reason like at the end that like mission of christ broke up was kind of because it was that scene became so violent and it was like we'd play in vancouver and that's when like blasphemy and all that crew was around and then there was also like you know like the nazi skins that it had ended up in vancouver and victoria because they basically got beat up across canada by like the the bfg (laughs) (laughs) yep but they i mean it was like basically like when they came to victoria it was that thing like we were all these little kids so they kind of just like forced hung with you you yeah yeah but i mean like none of most of those kids back then like they weren't they weren't like nazis they were just like really messed up kids from broken homes you know Mm mm-hmm and they'd wear some stupid shirts and shit, but what, what, like you mentioned blasphemy there, which is like, I would say probably even more than America's hardcore, the most fascinating band in the world to me, as far as just like, 
yeah, like you mentioned, like the culture around this band was pretty extreme. Was it like as over the top as people say? Was it like an open war with the Nazis? There, <laughs> like were, there was some, some pretty, pretty outlandish like, stories. There was some pretty like I mean, it's hard because it's like I'm think picturing it in my mind from like you know like a yeah. seventeen year old to nineteen year old kid. Which, which is about the age I was then, but it was like there was some shows at the New York Theater. I know we played, we played uh, MOC. We played like a lot with like the Accused and Death Sentence and stuff in Vancouver. So you know, because of that, you get the whole, you know, the whole scene of like thrash metal kids, skaters, and then you know, kind of like the older Vancouver kind of. You know, junkie punk kind of that gnarly, whole scene. Yeah. But I, I, I remember at one point, like seeing like like basically like one side there's like blasphemy and the fuck you know the satanic skinheads. On the other side, there's like the Nazi skins, like FIFO, Fifi, Fifi, and I don't know at the time. I guess Elmo and all those dudes. But it was it was yeah, and then then seeing some pretty. Heavy brawls. All the all the Norwegian black metal went, you know, like white supremacist. Because you know, color of the storms is black. They were just all yeah. fuck those dudes, and so I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, but it was. I mean, it was like I say, it was like it was terrifying in the eyes of my age then. I'm sure it still would be. It was. Oh, God, it, yeah. it, it was like the, like you know. I think it'd be scarier for you now. Like I, that, some, I honestly, some big dudes. Yeah, like I think back to my time and stuff I saw as a kid, and I'm like, as an adult, that's way more fucking frightening to me than it was when I was younger witnessing it. Yeah, we played uh, for Obliterations. Played um, this art opening, and it was with a uh, with a uh, Strife and Excel, and it was for it was a art show for at this warehouse for I can't remember his name, but something like punk rick or something he was the one that did all the welcome to venice oh yeah okay artwork and stuff awesome and it was awesome there's all these photos and there was like you know like these old latino punks you know gangsters that are you know pro- some of them probably pushing 55 and stuff and they're all there and they're looking at the old photos and they're awesome looking you know what i mean it's, it's a yeah. cool wicked scene and then like excel played and it was like that thing where i'm like you know when you're like on the the side of the pit and you're like oh, da, da, da. and then you're like whoa like i'm getting the hell out of here yeah and like i say it wasn't it was an art opening it wasn't like the <laughs> olympic ballroom in 83 but it was like it was like these dudes are huge yeah and like like they're going in and i was just like whoa <laughs> yeah it's i mean like, it's exciting yeah but but now there's consequences like you know if you get hurt yeah there's pain and and recovery yeah it's true <laughs> Uh, well, I'm not going to keep you that much longer, Stephen, because I have kept you for such a long time, and I want to have you back for a part two because we are not even going to get pretty much of your teenage years. I think cool. in, in part one, you know, we're like we're yeah. like I could talk to you forever about all this sort of stuff. Um, I guess like uh, I guess like the other the kind of like the next thing I wanted to move on to, which is like you know you mentioned obliterations, mm-hmm. and were you kind of like always a fan of punk rock like throughout? kind of like that sort of throughout the 90s and into to present day type thing yeah i mean like part of like i guess you know it was like i was like playing in i guess 
punk bands of different sorts, like up till mm-hmm. I guess I was like twenty seven. And then it was just like that weird thing of like I was just like, I wanna do something different. I didn't you know what I mean, like I didn't know what I wanted to do, but it was kind of this almost this this searching thing and doing all these different little things and sometimes certain like situate like it was like me and Josh did this band jerk with the bomb, which yeah. started out as like, you know, like a four track cassette thing that I did I guess in like ninety five. And then it was like our friend was like, Oh, I'll put out a record for you. Then it was like you know, before that it was this thing where, you know, we just did it once in a while, then it was like, Oh well if you know, if someone's putting on a record we'll 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 tour. So it's just like kind of like just just the way life goes and different yeah. things. And it was the same thing with like and then with like, you know, Jerk with a Bomb basically turning into Black Mountain, you know, getting heavier, but kind of all these different influences and like I mean obliterations was it was like Sam was like, Hey, do you want to jam with Austin from Saviors? And we're like, I'm like, Yeah, cool. And it was, uh, I think the first jam was like Adam, who was like in children and stuff. And, uh, I think we went there and like, we, you know, we, we all jammed around, you know, just, you know, you smoke a J or whatever and you jam, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then, then I kind of just said, I was like, I was like, I was like, dudes, I'm already in a rock band. Can we just start a punk band? And everyone, everyone was just like, yeah, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it's kind of like, it's been really fun to play in that band. And it's weird because it's like going back to like when we write. It's like we we basically like every song's written in 20 seconds, you know, it's like, okay, they're done. And then Sam writes the lyrics and, but it's weird to go back to that. Like I, like obliterations would be probably pretty close to the band that I wanted to be in when I was 13 yeah, or 14, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of exciting. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, but it's it's weird to like know like the certain tricks. It's like mm-hmm. oh, Greg Ginn plays through PV, um, PA heads, solid state. Like you know, it's like these weird things of like how you get that kind of Jerry's kids. Like yeah, now you can demystify it. Now you know it's exactly like you're like what they were doing. It's like which is kind of a, yeah. you know which is which is fun. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. Maybe not. You know, it's it's just a different way of approaching it, but it's also good to be like, I mean, just where it's like, it's what it is. It's either, you know, it's either just got to be brutal or not. If it's not brutal. It's not. When it's also like, (laughs) move move along, you know, before you have like, it's like, you know, pink mountaintops and black mountain. It's like, it's, it's like definitely punk informed. And you can tell how much, you know, punk and hardcore is obviously informed, you know, your sonic outlook and probably more outlook you know, throughout your life from getting into it at such a young age. Yeah. I mean, I was like, do you know that kid fought or fought like Jeff? Uh, you probably know him. I don't, I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe. I'm trying to remember his last name. He's been around forever. Tons of bands, but he, 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 he sent me this message once and it was like about pink mountaintops outside 
outside love record and he was like he's like that's the best guitar record other than hear nothing say nothing see nothing i was like what <laughs> but he somehow you know just like i guess got out of like the walls of and layers of guitars and fuzz and whatever i was like thank you yeah <laughs> just like that's the kind of you know a little compliment that's like a that's like ten thousand compliments rolled into one <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing, like, you know, like you said, like, you know, finding out how Greg Ginn got his guitar sound, or Jerry Skids got their sound, or like, you know, or, or you know, having the, like, the way Discharge does their guitars show up on a Pink Mountaintop record, it's like, it, you can tell it's had an impact. Cool. Um, but, like, I, I, Stephen, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to talk to me today about all this stuff. It's my pleasure. You've helped me put together a lot of pieces to puzzles that I've been uh, put in, been agonizing over for years. Oh, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, if you want to talk more any other time, I'm good. Thank you, Stephen. And as you can tell, there's room for more. So he's going to be back here for more parts in the future. But speaking of future, we got to talk about next week. Next week on the show, not one. But two guests, actually kind of three. Next week on the show, Nicola and Friedrich from Millencolin will be here. I mean, literally here in my record room, hanging out with me. And also, my friend Mike Viktorovich was there too, uh, who's Nicola's cousin. And yeah, it is it is a great episode. There's tons of fun stuff in it, from like the Burning Heart stuff all the way back to like Swedish hardcore stuff. It is a good episode. That is next week on the show. Thank you everyone for listening. Once again, please write me an email. Go over to DamienAbraham.com. Um, uh, follow this thing on Facebook. Turn it to punk on Facebook. Various forms of social media at Left for Damien, and uh, check out what I do on Vice. Damien Abraham, check out Fucked Up, fuckedup.cc. Uh, subscribe to this. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Just Mainly just tell your friends. And uh, I'll see you on Footnotes. We're going to have a lot to talk about. So that's going to be a fun episode. And I guess that's it. I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.